Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. We're about to go into a message that I delivered recently, and I hope that it encourages you, it inspires you, and it launches you further in your walk with Jesus. That's my heart for you as you listen. If it does encourage you, why not share it with someone who you think could do with hearing it as well? And subscribe so that you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. For now, sit back, enjoy, and I hope that you get blessed. The Upper Room is our theme for this month, and um, it's a powerful theme. There's really so much that we could talk about in the Upper Room, and it's this concept of the secret place. It's a concept of putting God first. It's a concept of the unseen, that place where we are honed, where we are transformed, where we're empowered, where we're filled, where we transcend our own limitations because God moves in. The upper room, it's, it's, a, it's a place of empowerment. It's a place of transformation. It's a place we're supposed to dwell. It's not a place we visit just once a year, It's not like a pilgrimage we make to a temple once a year. It's our dwelling place is the upper room. It's who we are. It's where we are. It's where we meet God. And, you know, there are times where sometimes we may feel a little bit like a little bit shy from going to the upper room a little bit shy from maybe boldly coming into his presence. But the scripture tells us in Hebrews that we boldly enter his throne room. We boldly enter his throne room. We boldly come into the presence of God. We boldly walk into that space with him, knowing that he's there, knowing that we're welcome, knowing that he's wanting to meet with us there. And so we boldly go. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, So let us come boldly before the throne of our gracious God. There we receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it the most. And today I want to talk about that concept, when we need it the most. You know, those times when you actually need God to come through. Those times when, I've, I've said it before, God's all I've got. And it's funny that we would say that, right? Like God's all I've got. If God's all you've got, you've got more than enough. You've actually got more than you need And it's a precious place to be. But when we need it most, it says there in Hebrews that we go boldly into his presence. We go boldly into his presence. In Romans 8, 28, it says, we know that God causes everything to work together for good. He causes everything. Think about it. Think about the everything in your life going on right now. And when I look across the room and and your stories, I know some of the bits of your everything. But the scripture promises that God works everything together for good. Everything that's going on in your life, he's got it. And he's working it out and he's working it out for your good. The enemy would like you to come under it. The enemy would like you to to feel overwhelmed. The enemy would like for you to sit in church and miss everything that's happening because you're thinking about the everything. But it says here, God works everything together for good according to his purposes for those who are called and we're called. We're called by God. And so I want to tell you, it's all good. 
He's working it all out. He's always working it all out. And we just have to be in a place of trust and boldly know that I can come into his presence. I need to boldly go into the upper room so that I can get the grace I need when I need it the most. Because there are going to be times when you want God fighting for you. There are going to be times when you need supernatural help. Anyone? Or is it just me? There are going to be times where you need His strong hand to come through. There are going to be times where you're going to need Him to pick you up and put you firmly on your feet again. There are going to be those times when you want to confidently walk into the throne room of God and receive the grace you need when you need it the most. I'm going to look today around the life of David. David is an, a remarkable character in the Bible, a phenomenal king, a phenomenal leader. But what I love about this man is that we get insight into why he was so amazing. And the reason he was amazing was his upper room discipline. The reason that he was so powerful the reason he goes down as the greatest king in history is not because of his charm and good looks and skill. It's because of his upper room discipline. And we get a glimpse into it. And so I want us to look around the life and the seasons of David today and understand that it's the upper room that lays precedent for our public victories. And so... My message this morning is called Precedent Matters. And what you do in your preparation makes all the difference for the front line. For those moments when you have to step up. It's what you did yesterday and the day before and the year before and 10 years ago in the secret place that makes all the difference. Precedent matters. And so we read in 2 Samuel 22... Second Samuel, the, the books of Samuel actually are an account of David's life, Saul and David. And Second Samuel is actually exactly the same as Psalm 18. It's a psalm, it's a poem, it's a song that David's written in one of his boldly come into my throne room encounters. You know, when he's come to God and he's standing boldly in the presence of God, this is what he says. And he reached down, God reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. You know you have an enemy of your soul. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. The Lord rewarded me for doing what was right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and I've not turned from my God to follow evil. I have followed all his regulations and never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He has seen my innocence. Verse 26. To the faithful, God, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, you show integrity. 
To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You rescue the humble, but your eyes watch the proud and humiliate them. O Lord, you are my lamp. The Lord lights up my darkness. It's this beautiful passage. It's this revelation that we can glean from that God is our battle plan. He is our battle plan. We go to Him boldly as our battle plan. I can have all the skill, all the resource of a king, but without God, it's not going to be enough. God is my determining factor. And he talks here in verses 26 and 27 about integrity. About integrity. Integrity, the integrity of a substance is measured by how it behaves under different conditions. Let me say that again. The integrity of a substance is defined by how it behaves under different conditions. So the integrity of a person is measured by how they behave under different conditions. Let me say that again. The integrity of a person is measured by how they behave under different circumstances. When the circumstances are good, it's so easy to praise the Lord, brother. But when life is falling down around you, when the rug is being ripped out from underneath you, are you still praising the Lord, brother? How is your integrity? Because David is saying to the people of integrity, you show integrity. And integrity actually is really important in the secret place. When no one's watching, when it is just you and God, do you go there? Do you go to Him? Do you rest in Him? Do you commune with Him? Where are you when no one's watching? Integrity. How are you under different circumstances and in different settings? When we've been with the Lord, when we're familiar with His heart and His intentions in the world, we can come boldly to Him when we're in need. C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying that there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, Let Thy will be done. The ones who come to God and say, I want it done. I want Your will or the ones who say, I want my will. Two different types of people. There are only ever two different types of people. The ones who want it their way or God's way. Their way or God's way. And when we come into the upper room, when we come into those places of communion with God, when we rest in His presence, when there's no one around, God shapes our heart. When it says that the Lord gives us the desires of our heart, it doesn't mean He gives us the red Ferrari. It means when you've spent that much time with God, you want what He wants. Your desires actually come into line with what He wants, and so He gives you the, des he gives you the desires of your heart. Our priorities change. Our desires change. The source of our joy changes. We think, I'll be happy when I have all these things in line. No, you won't. And actually, you'll never have all those things in line. 
That's just because we live in a fallen world. But can you still be happy? Can you still be filled with joy? Can you still be filled with peace when all the things are not straightly in a line? Because God has given you the true desires of the riches of heaven. When all that matters is what He wants. And David defines integrity in this psalm as faithfulness, purity, humility. Faithfulness, purity, and humility. And in Psalm 7, and this is where we're getting to, in Psalm 7, he even dares God. Now, this is boldness. When God says, come boldly into my throne room, imagine being so bold that you can even dare God. You know God so well, and you're so like this with Him, and your purity is in His presence is at such a place where you can go, you know what, I dare you, God, because because you and me are in sync and I want what you want. So it's actually time for you to prove yourself. And he says this in Psalm 3, Psalm 7, verse 3 to 5. O Lord my God, if I've done wrong or if I'm guilty of injustice, if I've betrayed a friend or plundered my enemy without cause, then let my enemies capture me. Then let them trample, into the gr- trample me into the ground and drag my honour in the dust. How awesome is that? How awesome is it to be able to go to God and say, I dare you, God, if there's any, if I have cheated someone, let them grind me down. If I have done something shameful, catch me out. I'll pay the price of that. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And so I'm looking at this and I'm realizing, do you know what? It's so much easier to live a life of integrity. It's way easier to live a life of integrity because if you live a life of compromise, you're hiding things, you don't know because you lack integrity, you don't know how to behave. Which, which person am I going to be today? I'm walking into this setting, so which person, which persona am I going to take on in this setting? Whereas a person of integrity can just be the same at all times. It's actually so much easier. It's so much easier to live a life of integrity and conviction than to live a life of compromise. To be able to go to God and say, I'm sure, Lord, that I have not cheated anybody. I'm sure that I haven't done any injustice, that I haven't done any plundering for my own self-gain, God. I'm sure. But if you can, if you can find it, then address it, Lord. Please address it. It's an amazing place to be. Heaven, he's saying, defends someone who doesn't abuse other people. Heaven defends someone who hasn't been opportunistic. I often say that if opportunity controls your loyalty, then there's something desperately wrong with your character. And so heaven defends someone who isn't opportunistic and isn't looking for the next shiny thing and jumping at the next thing, but someone who's integrous, no matter what. Heaven defends those who pay a price for their integrity. And so David, as a young person, he was Jesse's youngest son, one of eight sons, Number eight, bottom of the pecking order. (laughs) And in those days, number eight son literally is a nobody. 
and he's just out in the fields with his dad's sheep his whole life. He's literally with stinky sheep every day of his life, caring for sheep. And sheep are not the smartest animals. This was his whole life, was out in the fields with his sheep. And his brothers were great heroes in combat in the, in the king's army. And, you know, he's number eight and he's with the sheep. Everyone forgets about him. No one cares about him. He's insignificant. He's unseen. He's forgotten. He's a shepherd boy. And his life is filled with menial tasks. How's your week today? Same old, same old. Just looking at the backside of sheep all day. Menial tasks, same old, same old, alone in the fields, day after day after day. Shepherd boy. And sometimes we can feel forgotten and unseen and just in the grind of life. But I want to tell you, God does his best work in obscurity if we will allow him. Those were the days when God built David. David was built way before he had a crown on his head. He was built in the field because he let God build him in the field. He didn't waste his time in the field. It tells us that he wrote Psalms and he worshipped in the field. Before anything else, David was an upper room worshipper. Before he was ever a king, he was in the upper room worshipping. Tells us he was in the field with his harp and he became a skilled musician and he wrote music alone and sang to the hills for an audience of one. And he did it for years. And then he honed his skills as a warrior defending sheep. He learned how to use a slingshot. He fought off bears and lions with his bare hands. That is significant. For a kid who no one cares about to be able to wrestle down lions, that's pretty significant. And it was that that caused him to be able to stand in front of Goliath. He didn't just appear in front of Goliath. He had been training for years when no one saw. He took down so many Goliath-type threats that this guy was just a joke. Imagine getting in front of your Goliath and being that confident. What's that going to take? It's going to take a lot of upper room time. A lot. And too many of us fall apart when Goliath turns up because we haven't done the lion and the bear when no one's watching. Too many of us let God fall to the wayside when a crown gets put on our head because we aren't actually worshippers first. And all that happens when no one cares about us and no one sees us and no one even knows what we're doing. All of our training happens in the upper room before we get anywhere. And suddenly you're an overnight success. No, no, no. There is no such thing as an overnight success in the kingdom of God. We may suddenly see you, but it took years to develop who you are. And it was you and God when no one cared about you, 
when no one saw you, when no one even knew the call of God on your life, and you allowed him to develop you when no one was watching. And then even when someone does identify you, because we see here that the prophet comes and he says to Jesse, where are your sons? Because God wants to anoint the next king in place of Saul out of your sons. And so Jesse brings seven sons out and they're all burly. You know, they've got all their badges. They've got all their credentials. They all look amazing and from the outside, whoa, like what a selection. And God says, no, 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 seven times, no. And Samuel's like, have you got any other sons? And he's like, oh, that's right. Have you ever felt like the, oh, that's right, option? My whole life. Like surely there's someone better, you know, suited than me. Oh, that's right. Yeah, no, I've got a son, but he's out with the sheep. I've got one more son. And they bring him in, and, and, and Samuel is straight away quickened by the Spirit of God. He's the one. Why? Because he's been spending time with me. Eliab, yeah, he looks good, but he doesn't know me. Yeah, he might look right, but he doesn't know me. I can't trust him with the kingdom, but I know David. Because David spent years in my presence. David and I are like this. I can trust him with the kingdom. It doesn't matter that he's not first in line and that his credentials aren't there. I know him. I know him and so I want him to be the king. And he gets anointed and guess what? He gets sent back out in the field. How much does that suck? But God, what do you mean? I've actually been anointed from head to toe to be king. And I'm going back out in the field. Yeah, sometimes. We look at people like Joseph and Moses and the developmental process takes decades. Takes decades. And some of us hear a call from God and we think that tomorrow we're going to be standing in front of millions of people. And God's like, no, no, there's still work to do. There's still work to do. And so he goes back into the fields, back into the fields, keeps training, keeps training. And finally, one day, there's a giant in the field and all the guys with the credentials are afraid of the giant. Do you know why? Because their strength is in themselves. Your giant will be too big for you. But when you know where your strength is, there's no such thing as a giant too big. In fact, he's too big to miss. And so Goliath turns up and none of the fighting men, not even the king, are willing to face this giant. But a kid, a kid who's been practicing in the upper room, goes, I'll do it. I don't fear him because I know my God. I don't fear him. And just one stone was all it took. Sharp, direct, took him down. And he becomes a military hero. Sparks the insecurity of the king. The king has it in for him. The king then spends a decade chasing him in the wilderness. Saul, who should be running a kingdom, is preoccupied with the threat of a boy. 
and he spends his life chasing David like a dog through the wilderness and David is hiding in caves and Saul gets crazier and crazier and crazier as his insecurities flare up. And so he's exiling all sorts of people and before he knows it, David's got a group of men around him that are exiles. These are like the criminals of society are hanging out with David and they're dysfunctional and they're exiled and he's rallying, not because he's inviting them, but because they kind of invite themselves and start hanging around him. He starts to develop these men and they become giant slayers. These men eventually become his elite fighting army when he becomes king. He was able, because he was strong in who he was, he was able to transform the lives of other dysfunctional people around him and build mighty men, other giant slayers. The opportunity to to kill King Saul presents itself at least twice. This is where integrity matters. Because everything looks like it's been given to him on a silver platter. I've been anointed. I'm waiting to take the throne because I know God's anointed me for it. Saul is seemingly delivered into my hand. I could take his life right now and be king. And his men, all these crazy misfits, are counseling him that way. This is your opportunity. This is your moment. God's deli- they say, God has delivered Saul into your hand. It makes sense in human thinking. But God's ways are higher than our ways and a person of integrity doesn't realize every opportunity is an opportunity. A person of integrity realizes that opportunities are sometimes traps. Sometimes it's better not to take a shiny opportunity. Sometimes it's a test. Sometimes it's a trap. And so David says, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. Well, he's anointed too, but I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. Twice, twice he has to face that test and he passes both times. It's really important for us to be wise in order to have integrity, to not compromise in order to have integrity. All the experiences in his life, in the secret place, in that wrestle of the soul, set him up to be who God needed him to be in the nation of Israel, to set him up for the throne. Eventually, Saul and his three sons die in battle and David becomes a king. 15 years of mistreatment. 15 years of mistreatment. Paying the price of integrity when no one was watching. When it wouldn't actually matter if he did cut a corner or sell out. But it did matter because precedent matters. It goes on and on. He then has a son who tries to take the throne from him. It doesn't end. Just because you're anointed, just because you have integrity doesn't mean bad things won't happen. In fact, our generation, the reason we're all snowflakes is because we don't have the right theology for suffering. Bad things do happen to good people. What matters is our response. 
You can't control what will happen to you because you live in a fallen world. You can control your integrity. You can control your response in that heartbreaking situation. And if you allow it, that situation can make you even greater in the kingdom of God. That situation can make you even stronger. That situation may qualify you for an even bigger Goliath. I love his heart, David's heart in 2 Samuel 15. Absalom, his son, is causing division in the nation. And David actually leaves the throne. He leaves the throne. And he says to God, if I found favor in the Lord's eyes, he'll bring me back here. I love it. What he's saying is the throne belongs to God anyway. It's not mine. He can give it to me. He can take it away. He can put whoever he wants on that throne. It's his throne. How funny is it, this thought? You know, the Bible tells us that if you try to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. How crazy to try to hold on to something that's not even yours. It's God's. And David is saying, you know what? You do what you want with this throne. It's yours, God. I am not actually going to fight and claw my way into this throne. He willingly walks away from the throne when his son is doing the wrong thing. And he says, if God wants me in the throne, he'll bring me back to the throne. And he does. And David doesn't have to compromise his integrity. David doesn't have to shed blood. God works it all out. Precedent matters. It's about stewardship. It's not a turf war. It's not a possessive, ugly battle between you and the next person. Live your life in integrity and allow God to work through you in powerful ways. Insecurity and possessiveness must be crucified. Destiny is not a destination, it's a journey and every single step is taking you towards your future. In every response to rejection, to challenge, to hardship, you never know what's around the corner, but you can determine your response. And the best future strategy is integrity. God, I come boldly before you again because we've spent time like this and life is tough right now. Will you come to my defense? If there's anything in me, Lord, address it. Crucify it, please. I come boldly into your presence and I know that precedent matters. Life will have its ups and downs, but I will come boldly into your presence because integrity is my best defense strategy. Paul Scanlon is quoted as saying, don't build a resource rich life at the expense of relationships. If you do, you'll hit ceilings all the time. I can't express the degree of humility that is required to do this well. Just humility in the presence of God. Let Him be God. Come before Him with great integrity. Don't compromise. Live a life above reproach. 
And how will you be integrous this year when no one's watching? What are those things that maybe you need to address today, this week, to just bring before God and allow Him to minister to you so that you can come boldly? Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? I think it's amazing. I was just praying this morning. I had the privilege of speaking at a young adult conference yesterday and felt the smile of heaven in the room as there were tears right across the room and I felt the spirit of consecration as young people, you know, in that, that pivotal age of setting up their lives were consecrating themselves to God. And I just thought, you know, it's quite remarkable because we live in a generation that unfortunately comes to God and says, how much of the world can I hang on to as I add you to my life? Instead of going, how much do I need to let go of? How much do I need to reject in order to be pure before you? I wanna ask you that question. Maybe you're asking how much of the world can I hang on to while keeping God just as an attachment? Can you flip that question today and say, what do I need to condemn and reject in order to stand purely before God? What is it that I need to crucify in my life in order that my life can stand with integrity in the presence of God so that Him and I can be in communion with each other unhindered. You'll never be perfect. It's not about perfection. Of course it's not. It's about a broken and contrite heart that genuinely comes before God and says, whatever you need to address, address it. I give you my life. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well. Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.